Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. I haven't even checked if any Rogers awake because I'm just well. It's a Monday, first first Monday of June, so all of the alarms played around town. Not sure if that happens to anybody else. Looks like he's not awake yet, so let's wake him up. Morning. Yeah, it's morning all of a sudden. Oh, man. The sun is rising. Yeah, I'm not awake. Uh, <laughs> I'm nothing ready. <clears throat> so. That's okay, it's a Monday. Right, I'm glad you're at that mood. <laughs> One day everyone can fuck up. Monday. <laughs> I never had a day where I can fuck up. I've had the day where I can exist and get blamed for fucking up. That's about it. Well, I'm glad I can give you that day today. Perfect day. The scraggled man. Such a compliment. I know I was still. <laughs> All right, were you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Let's get this show started. Today on Before Coffee, Weather Tracker, Finland experiences coldish dune on record. A plane crashes near D.C. after buzzing the national airspace. Spain, snap election could kill its housing revolution before it even gets started. And U.S. releases video showing close call in Thailand. Taiwan Strait with Chinese destroyer. In Poland, hundreds and thousands march against the right-wing populist government. And in train crash news, you look at the aftermath of an India train crash. Today on the June, what is it, June 5th? June 5th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Okay, let's start with the first news story about the weather, because the weather is... It's doing some stuff. Alright, let's look at... Thursday, June 1st, saw potentially the lowest June temperatures on record in Finland. A weather station in Lapland, Enotekio Kipsavari Sana, reached negative 7.7 Celsius. This may not seem that cold for northern Finland, where winter temperatures reach as low as negative 51.5, but last time Lapland saw a minimum temperature of negative 7 in June was in 1962. In addition, at this time of the year, Lapland experiences midnight sun where it is constantly light and the sun does not set. This unseasonal cold was possible in the first months of summer due to a large area of high pressure to the west of Finland, blocking the usual westerly, southwesterly flow of weather system across the Atlantic and North Sea. The most stationary area of high pressure to the west meant that polar air continued to flow in from the north for several days. The cold is expected to continue through this week, with the high pressure world finally edged eastwards allowing some relative warmth to return. This month has also seen the start of 2023's Atlantic hurricane season, with tropical storm Arlene having developed in the Gulf of Mexico last week. 
Wow. Meanwhile, wildfires have been breaking out across Canada throughout the last week, becoming particularly intense in places. Nova Scotia saw its largest wildfire on record, which destroyed many homes, but attention has turned towards Quebec, where recent heat has allowed a rash of fires to ignite over the past couple of days. This weekend saw rains arriving in parts of Nova Scotia, suppressing the active fires there. The rain will track into eastern parts of Quebec through this week, which will expect it to have a similar impact on dousing the flames there too. However, the fire risk will transfer westward as heat continues across much of Canada. Interesting that we just covered Cuba, Canada, and Finland weather there. So, I think the reason we care about the cold weather is mostly because, you know, it might be an indicator of an ice age. Who knows? When the, when the Earth heats up enough, the, uh, the world reacts with an ice age. And it's been a while since the last one. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, this was from Azur Pryor from the Met Desk. The track. Oh. All right, then. That's the weather. Yep. All right, then. And yesterday, there was news of a sonic boom yesterday that I, I didn't pick up on. Like, I was watching the news, but I figured out what it was. At least the news media figured out what it was. Fighter jets chase a small plane in Washington area before it crashes in Virginia. This is from Reuters. Washington, D.C., June 4th. The United States scrambled F-16 fighter jets in a supersonic chase of light aircraft with an unresponsive pilot that violated airspace around Washington, D.C. and later crashed into the mountains of Virginia, officials said. No survivors were found at the crash site. The jet fighters created a sonic boom over the U.S. Capitol as they pursued the errant Cessna Citation which is a small jet. Officials said, causing consternation among people in the Washington area. Four people were on board the Cessna, a source familiar with the matter said. A Cessna citation can carry seven to 12 passengers. I've actually ridden in those, I'm just saying the- uh, Oh, really? Well, the, uh, when I work for customs, they own several of those. After several hours, First responders reached the crash site but found no one alive, the Virginia State Police said in a statement. The Cessna was registered to Encore Motors of Melbourne, Florida, according to the flight tracking website FlightAware. Encore owner John Rumpai told the Washington Post his daughter, a grandchild, and her nanny were on board. We know nothing about the crash, the Post quoted a Rumpai essay. We are talking the FAA now. The U.S. military attempted to contact the pilot who was unresponsive until the Cessna crashed near George Washington National Force in Virginia, North America. <laughs> North America Air Defense Command said in a statement, NORAD. The Cessna appeared to be flying on autopilot, another source familiar with the matter said. The Norround aircraft were authorized to travel at supersonic speeds and that sonic boom may have been heard by residents of the region, NORAD said in a statement. The U.S. officials said the fighters did not cause the crash. The Cessna took off from Elizabethan Airport in Elizabethan, Tennessee. It was bound for Long Island and MacArthur Airport in New York, about 50 miles east of Manhattan, the FAA said in a statement. Adding that the National Transportation Safety Board would investigate. According to the flight aware, the plane appeared to reach the New York area that made a 180 degree turn. 
Incidents involving unresponsive pilots are not unprecedented. Golfer Payne Stewart died in 1999, along with four others after an aircraft he flew thousands of miles with the pilot and passengers unresponsive. The plane eventually crashed in South Dakota with no survivors. In the case of Stewart's flight, the plane lost cabin pressure, causing the occupants to lose consciousness because of oxygen deprivation. Similarly, a small U.S. plane that was unresponsive pilot crashed off the east coast of Jamaica in 2014 after veering far off course and triggering a U.S. security alert, including a fire jet escort. Wow. On Sunday, on Sunday this sonic boom rattled many of the people of Washington area took to Twitter to report hearing a loud noise that shook the ground walls. Several residents said they heard the noise as far away as Northern Virginia and Maryland. Your story. So that explains this sonic boom that everybody heard yesterday. Did you hear the sound? Did you hear it? No. Oh, okay. I. It may have happened. I just missed it. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, been... loud noise, whatever. <laughs> Might have been in the basement, and we do live near a stinky naval base. So. Yeah. You, you, I basically don't even hear planes passing over my house because I've lived. They, they fly literally 200 feet over our house. Giant yeah. aircraft on their landing to the main no, no, it's, it's the same here, at least at, very close. You can see the bottom of the belly of the plane. Details. I'm sure you remember, I'm sure you remember here, it. Because we're right next to the, the, the Dutch airport, so. You just got used to it. But it just happens so much, you just get used to it, living here. Sorry. All right. News in Spain. A housing revolution is taking place in Spain on the 26th of May. A monumental new housing law came into force. It was the culmination of years of work and sought to enshrine housing as a human right. I, yeah, okay. But now <laughs> that vision is in danger. Two days after the law passed, right-wing parties won seats in local and regional elections. Last week, Spain's Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez called a snap election. On the 23rd of July, when Spain goes to the polls, the fate of this law will hang in the balance. The origins of the law can go back decades. In 1956, Jose Luis de Ares, who became Franco's first housing minister, said that Spain had to change from a country of working-class tenants to a country of homeowners. Governments encouraged property owners to expend at the expense of renting. It created a new class of social housing, publicly protected housing. Unlike your average council home, a publicly protected home is subsidized by the government offered for sale at an affordable price. Once 30 years have elapsed, it can be sold on the free market. This model has made Spain one of the largest poverty-owning countries in the West, with almost 80% of the housing owners occupied. While Spain built 6.5 million publicly protected homes, only 400,000 now remain. The cracks in this model appeared in 2008, as the real estate crisis swept across the world. A wave of eviction unfolded in Spain. Many people who had lost their homes started to rent. Demanded, demand leaped up in the country's small and under-regulated private letting sector. Rents increased by 51.4%, while wages rose only 3.4%. Over the decade that followed, as a result, Spain now has the highest housing cost overburden rate in Europe. The number of wow. people for whom total housing costs represent more than 40% of their income. The eviction crisis planted the seed for Spain's housing movement, led by anti-eviction campaigners and tenant unions. 
It was in Barcelona that the housing revolution was born. Ada Kalu, a tenant organizer, was elected mayor in 2015. Since then, the city has changed the paradigm of its housing policy. Instead of standing back and letting the market take the lead, the state has intervened to shape the housing market so everyone has ac access to adequate, sustainable, and affordable housing. Meanwhile, the city government has tried to stop the advance of gentrification by acquiring empty private buildings and regulating Airbnb apartments. If enacted, the new law would represent a paradigm shift. It would prevent the privatization of council housing and set a target of creating 20% more social housing over the next 20 years. It would increase protections for vulnerable tenants and tax landlords who hold on to empty homes. I like that idea. I like that idea. You know how many landlords are out there who own 15,000 apartment complexes and they're like, oh yeah, but I just raised the prices and if no one wants to buy, I guess my building's empty. And there's like, no, no you're going to get taxed because you're not selling your fucking houses, dude. <laughs> I like that idea. Your rents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that should be a law. This should be a law against how many housing units you can own. Yeah. It's like 15,000 complexes is too much for one person to own. Too many corporations look at them as an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the story? It also includes new tax incentives for landlords to reduce prices or offer longer-term lets. Like I said, just give them a reason why they should care. More significantly, it would introduce provisions for national rent control, which Barcelona has pledged to adopt. The law isn't perfect. It includes loopholes for people who own tourist or seasonal housing, and regional governments can opt out of some provisions. Even so, it is a radical shift that would guarantee the right to housing, developing the housing system as a pillar of the welfare state. But a question mark hangs over its fate. As the supporters of the right-wing parties congregate in public squares after the 28th May elections, the future of Barcelona's government looked increasingly uncertain. If the right-wing party takes control of the municipality, its housing achievements could be reversed. Revolution aborted? We'll only know once the election results are in. Eduardo Gonzalez wrote this article for... The Guardian, and he is a policy advisor at Barcelona City Council and affiliate academic at the UCL Institute of Innovation and Public Purpose. So he knows a lot about how fuck they can go, I guess. <laughs> Your story. You got, sweet, you got a sweet title. He does. Okay, and others. And the story about the recent. Uh, this happened on Friday. A a uh, train crash in India, one of the worst in histories. And here's a news analysis from the New York Times. And the guy's name is Alex Trevelli. Train travel in the country has gotten much safer. Friday's disaster notwithstanding, but the government still puts high-profile projects ahead of basic safety improvements, and analysts say. In a country where a major industry and political fortunes are alike often tied to a vast interwoven rail system, India has lavished public resources on new trains, but its pursuit purse strings, sorry, but its purse strings have been much tighter when it comes to ensuring the safety of those already racing along its tracks. Those decisions loomed large on Sunday in the aftermath of a devastating train wreck that killed at least 275 people in eastern India. The investigators say they were forced on the, they were focused on the possibility 
that the signal failure might have led to the three train crash on Friday, the worst rail wreck in the country in years. The crash, which also injured more than 1,100 people, occurred when a passenger train heading south about 80 miles per hour toward the city of Chennai veered into the wrong track and hit a parked freight train, the authorities say. The first train derailed cars, then plowed into a second passenger train that was heading toward it, leaving a scene of carnage. Over the past years, India has been polishing its long ramshackle infrastructure as polishing its long ramshackle infrastructure as never before, and its railways, which are the heart of the world's largest economy, have been prime beneficiary. The government spent almost $30 billion on the rail system during the first fiscal year, up to 15% more than the year before. But the amount spent on basic track maintenance and other safety measures has been falling. A report last year by India's Auditor General and Independent Office found that less money was being allocated for track renewal work and that officials had not even spent the full amount set aside. With more than 20 million passengers riding the rails of India every day, many of the migrant workers are put a politician cannot go wrong by showering money on the system and Prime Minister Narendra Modi has done just that with little with little fanfare. The budget for a train system, one of the largest in the world, is five times as much this year when he took off than when he took office. But most of Modi's initiatives have been aimed at the basic steps needed to get trains from point A to point B without mishap, but an improving speed and but at improving speed and comfort. He regularly extols high fare new electric Vandy Barat trains connecting bigger cities and made easy and has made an early priority of Japanese-style bullet train, though it can do nothing to improve the lives of the country's ordinary passengers. The government said the investment is part of an effort to elevate the experience of riding India's, India's railways to a world-class standard and attract investment from abroad. Spending on programs that dedicated to safety improvements for India's, India's fleet of more than 13,000 older trains has been shrinking, however, as a portion of the total and even in absolute terms, according to the most recently published budget. So more new trains and not less money for maintenance. They sell the same money, maybe even more money for maintenance, but they're not spending it on maintenance. So yeah, we're gonna have train crashes, but we're gonna have new trains and they're gonna be shiny when they crash. Your story. Yay, kind of shiny new trains. Misappropriation of tax money going to the wrong thing, right? It's like, well, it's, oh, it's yeah. nice to have trains and have everybody have a comfortable ride, but if you're not doing track maintenance, <laughs> you just send them to the train. I mean, oh. the, yeah, the tracks they're using are so old, yeah. No maintenance. Well, oh, there's a leaf on the track and my train fell off. Oh, well. You know, what is wrong in India? I never heard of a government agency not spending the money they're allocated. Well, we don't need money for maintenance this year because we didn't spend it last year, so cut our budget. I don't know. <laughs> that seems like the number one thing you spend it on is maintenance. Hire more guys to check the tracks, please. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Sorry. All right. And more government news. Poland is angry at their populist government. 
Hundreds of thousands of people have marched through central Warsaw to protest against P Poland's right-wing populist government before a delicately poised election due in the autumn. The Law and Justice PIS party came, up, came to power in 2015, since when, since when it has eroded dem democratic norms, attacked the independent judiciary, and launched campaigns against the LGBT community and reproductive rights. We're half a million here. It's a record, said Donald Tusk, the former prime minister who leads the civic platform opposition grouping. He said the march on Sunday had been the biggest political gathering since Poland regained independence after the communist period. There was no official confirmation of the size of the rally, though Warsaw City Hall gave it a 500,000 estimate. And central streets thronged with crowds of protesters. The city's metro was overwhelmed as people converged on the center. Many people waved Polish or EU flags, and the mood was defiant but often festive. The whole of Poland, the whole of Europe, and the whole world sees how strong we are and how we are ready to fight for democracy and freedom again, like we did 30 to 40 years ago. Tusk told the crowds at the start of the rally. Tusk, who served two terms in Poland's prime, as Poland's prime minister from 2007 until 2014, has returned to national politics after a five-year stint as president of the European Council. The march was convened to mark the 34th anniversary of an election in 1989, won by a group linked to the Solidarity Trade Union movement, which proved a vital movement in ending the communist rule in Poland. Although convened by the civic platform, the march brought numerous opposition groupings together and banners among the crowd called for everything from trans rights to trade union representation. 34 years ago, we were all together and there was a sense of community. And we have to recover the sense of the community and transfer, transform our anger into strength, said Rafael Trzaskowski, the liberal mayor of Warsaw. Also present at the rally was Lech Walesa, the shipyard worker who emerged as leader of the Solidarity Movement and later became Poland's president. He's now a staunch critic of the PIS. PIS has won popularity for policies that have led to increased social spending. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has also shored up the party's support, as well as muting some international criticism of its policies as Poland has emerged in a vital pillar of the Western alliance in support of Ukraine. Polls suggest that neither PIS nor Tusk's civic platform are likely to gain enough votes for former government alone. So the election outcome could hinge on how smaller parties fare and who is able to form a workable coalition. The opposition has galvanized in recent days by the passing of a controversial law that would allow our government commission to ban people from public office if it believes they were agents of Russian influence. Ah, the Red Scare. Basically. Hey, I think you might like have Russian friends. You can't become president. Okay, that's convenient for you to say. It has been nicknamed Lex Tux and is widely seen as targeting the opposition leader. Ah, Tusk must be working with the Russians. That's the only reason he wants to be in power. The law was signed by President Andres Duda last week, although he almost immediately suggested amendments to it after a storm of criticism that it was unconstitutional and was a pretext to launch a political witch hunt. No kidding. While the mood on Sunday was mostly good-natured, there were flashes of real anger on some signs as protesters had made, or in their chants. As the crowds passed the president's presidential palace, parts of the crowd chanted, You will be imprisoned, in the direction of the building, 
Rhetoric on the deeply polarized country is likely to intensify in the months before the election. The chair of PIAs claimed like last week that an opposition vote would mean the end of Poland. Okay, you're being a little dramatic there. On Sunday, Tusk yeah. raised the possibility of pursuing legal action against government figures after a potential future election win. Those who commit evil will be held accountable and there will be no lenience, he said. Well, I love evil. Okay, yeah. sounds like it's use getting heated, for sure. You use the word evil for anything yeah. against... It's always a good move, right? It's the end of Poland and the other guys are evil. Okay. Sean Walker, this is from Sean Walker in Warsaw with additional help from Katarzyna Piaseka. Right on. And I always got to paint the other guys evil. Yep. And uh, uh, in World War III, a version news. Uh, the U.S. releases video showing close call of Chinese boat in the Taiwan Strait. The United States Miller, this is according to APE, David Rising. David Rising. The United States military released video Monday of what it called an unsafe Chinese maneuver. Unsafe Chinese maneuver? <laughs> that sounds racist. In the Taiwan Strait over the weekend, in which a Chinese Navy ship. It's like a Chinese fire drill, right? <laughs> Chinese Navy Navy ship cut. That's not racial, is it? I mean, that's what people called it. I don't know why. Chinese naval ship cut uh, cut sharply across the path of an American destroyer, forcing the U.S. vessel to show it avoid to slow to avoid a collision. The incident occurred Saturday at the American destroyer USS Chong Hoon. And Canadian fighter, a uh, Canadian frigate HMCS Montreal, were conducting a so-called freedom of navigation transit in the strait between Taiwan and mainland Japan. China claims the democratic self-governing island of Taiwan is part of its own territory and maintains the strait as part of an exclusive economic zone. While the U.S. and its allies regularly sail through the, and fly over the passage to emphasize their contention that the waters are international. During the Sunday-Saturday transit, the Chinese-guided missile destroyer overtook the Chung Hoon on its port side, then veered across the bow at a distance of some 1,500 yards, I'm sorry, 150 yards, according to the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. The American destroyer held its course but reduced speed to 10 knots to avoid a collision, the military said. The video released Monday shows the Chinese ship cutting across the course of the American one and straightening out to start sailing in a parallel direction. The Indo-Pacific Command said that the actions violated maritime rules of safe passage in international water. The Chinese ship did not attempt a similar maneuver on a Canadian frigate, which was sailing behind the American destroyer. Chung Hoon and Montreal's transit through the Taiwan Strait demonstrated the combined U.S. Canadian commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific Command said. The U.S. military flies, sails, and operates safely and responsible anywhere national law allows. Chinese Foreign Minister Spokesman Wang Wenbin defended the maneuver, saying it was undertaken in accordance with the law. Chinese military actions are completely justified, lawful, safe, and professional. It is the U.S. that should deeply reflect upon itself and correct the wrongdoings. Wrongdoings. What wrongdoings? 
U.S. <laughs> recently. Oh, every wrongdoing ever? Okay, just for you, China, we'll do that. The U.S. recently accused China of also performing an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver in the air, saying a Chinese J-16 fighter jet late last month flew directly in front of the U.S. nose of a U.S. Air Force reconnaissance flight over South China Sea. The close calls have raised concern of a possible accident that could lead to an escalation between two countries' militaries at a time when tensions are already high. The incident of the Taiwan Strait came to a game on the day when both U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Chinese Defense Minister General Li Shengfu were on were in Singapore for an annual defense conference. Li on Sunday suggested that the U.S. and its allies had created the danger with their patrols and was intent and was intent on provoking China. The best way is for the countries, especially the naval vessels and fighter jets of our countries, not to do closing actions around other countries' territories, he said. What's the point of going there in China? In China, he always say, "We mind your own business." Austin had invited Lee to talk on the sidelines of the conference, but Lee refused. So the Chinese are just playing games, apparently, trying to get under our skin. Other than that, an incident. Your story. Okay. Well, the the life is a game, as they say. In culture news, Billy Joel is to end his Madison Square Garden residency in 2024. So you better get those tickets now, because you won't be able to see him again. Singer-songwriter says he's kind of flabbergasted he even lasted this long. Billy Joel will conclude his monthly residency at Madison Square Garden in July 2024 with his 150th lifetime performance at the venue. It's hard to believe we've been able to do this for 10 years, Joel said at the news conference on Thursday. I'm now 74. I'll be 75 next year. It seems like a nice number. I'm kind Something of flabbergasted like that. it lasted as long as it did. My team tells me that we could continue to sell tickets, but 10 years, 150 shows? All right already, we're done. The record-breaking residency began in January 2014, with Joel playing one show every month at the Manhattan venue for he said at for, as he said at the time, as long as the demand continues. Every show has sold out since he began. Wow. You can't, that's a, that's something you can brag about. Not a single show was like, oh man, we didn't sell all the tickets. Of course, there could have right. just been scalpers, you know? Oh, we sold out all the tickets. And then they, somebody tried to sell them and then they couldn't sell the ticket. <laughs> they wasted the money. I doubt it though. It's Billy Joel. He has great songs. I don't really listen to him, but I know he has great songs. So. Limited seating, probably, too. Yeah. So. In January 2015, Joel broke his own record of the most consecutive performance by artist with the 13th show of the residency, and a new banner was raised at the garden in the garden's rafters. In July 2015, with his 65th lifetime show, Joel broke another record for the most lifetime performances by an artist, for which another banner was raised. Both of Joel's banners continue to hang at the garden. There's only one thing that's more New York than Billy Joel. And that's a Billy Joel concert at MSG, said the New York City Mayor Eric Adams. For more than 50 years, Billy's music has defined our city and brought us together. On behalf of the 8.5 million New Yorkers, congratulations, Billy, on a historic run of a sold-out show at MSG. And thank you for a lifetime of bringing joy to us all. Joel headlined Madison Square Garden for the first time in 1978. 
He has had 33 top 40 hits, including three number ones. It's still rock and roll to me. We didn't start the fire and tell her about it. And four number one albums, 52nd Street, Glass Houses, Stormfront, and River of Dreams. He won six Grammys, as well as a Grammy Legend Award in 1990, as well as being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1992. A representative of Joel confirmed while he is ending his run at the Garden, he is not retiring. This was a report by Associated Press. And uh, he, he looks sad. He, there's a picture of him crying, you know, with his little... his little uh, trucker hat on. Going, oh, it's over. But don't worry. He's still going to continue. You can still see him. Yeah, Maybe well, don't he'll go, go into change Europe, it. and I can see him. Who knows? That's all our news yeah, and culture go. today. Maybe we'll get out and about. Don't go change and try and please me, Billy Joe. That's from one. I couldn't think of anything else right now. Right on, and we're on to this day in history. In 1723, social philosopher and political economist Adam Smith was baptized, not born, baptized. Kirk Caldy Fife, Scotland. In 1849, the absolute monarchy in Denmark was abolished and replaced by a new constitution to establish the constitutional monarchy with the parliament as well as freedom of press, freedom of religion and the right to hold meetings and form associations. So, 1849, Denmark got a constitution, basically. 1883, English economist and journalist financier John Maynard Case was born. Wow, this is a day for economists to either get baptized or born. So John Maynard Keynes, the most, one of the most famous American economists was born. And of course, he came up with Keynesian, Keynesian economics, which was named after him, obviously. Um, and 1939, Canadian politician Joe Clark was born. Uh, 1944, in World War II, Allied forces entered Rome. In 1947, in the address of the Harvard University, U.S. Secretary of State George C. Marshall advanced the idea of the Marshall Plan a European self-help program to be financed by the United States. Aren't we grand? <laughs> While running for U.S. President, Robert F. Kennedy was fatally shot by Saran Saran on this day. Oh, man, 19... today? 55 years ago today, RFK was shot. While he didn't even for get president. to do anything, you know? He just existed. He was, he was Attorney General. Yeah, but, I mean, what does Attorney General do? He's a senator from New York, and then he was Attorney General. Well, he was Attorney General, then he was a senator from New York. That's right. Um, 1981, AIDS was reported for the first time, following the detection of a rare form of pneumonia in five homosexual men in Los Angeles. So okay, AIDS so was the thing just sucks, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Economists get burned and politicians get, well, it got discovered. It wasn't like it started. It just got discovered in this. It had been, it had been going for a while, probably, right? Yeah, there were people who started dying mysteriously. They narrowed it down to one virus. 2004, American politician Ronald Reagan 
bought the farm at the age of 93. He died, in other words. He didn't buy a farm. He probably already owned a farm. It's not <laughs> yeah. It's not living. Buying a farm in America means dying for some reason. He bought the farm. American author Ray Bradbury died on this day in 2012. So Ray Bradbury and Ronald Reagan died the same day, eight years apart. Very Ray nice Bradbury. 11. Yep, four four fifty one. Oh, sorry, four fifty one. Played with nine eleven. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he lived to be ninety one. Reagan got to be ninety three. Another uh, featured bog featured uh, featured biography. Okay, featured event was the start of the Six Day War in nineteen sixty seven. I would think the Kennedy assassination would be the feature event. The Six-Day War started Israel amid rising tensions with Egypt, Syria, and Jordan staged a preemptive air assault and soundly defeated those Arab countries, notably ceding Old City of Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip before a ceasefire. So the Gaza Strip has been long to Israel since 1967, basically. It's been disputed, hotly disputed since then. And feature biography, uh, born on this day in 1898 was Spanish writer Federico Garcia Lorca. Spanish writer born this day, June 5th, 1898. And what day is it today? Well, let's find out. Oops. Hopefully a good day, because all this news is not really good. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's, laughs> I wanted more yeah. birthdays and less deaths and assassinations. It's Neil Patrick Harris's birthday. Does that help? Yeah, he's a fun guy. It's Mark Wahlberg's birthday. Neil Patrick Harris, 1973. Mark Wahlberg, 1971. Laurie Anderson, American performance artist and author, 1947. And we all covered the other birthdays. And what, oops, what day is it? Get back Come to on, that. is it Pinata Day? That might be. I just, just had pick something. a random thing and then you might be right. <laughs> It's National Moonshine Day. Oh, well, that's something. A couple of swigs of that, you'll be eating a pinata. National Start Over Day. What you have to do after your couple of swigs of moonshine. World Environment Day, which should be every day. International Day for a Fight Against Illegal What? Got it short. Oh, International Day for the Flight the fight against illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. So stop, stop over, killing like, fish. I, I'm hoping that they mean overfishing, not like I went down to the creek, I caught a fish. Hey, get him! Yeah, overfishing. Yeah, yeah overfishing. Like, yeah. We just killed a lot of fish and threw them back in the ocean. We didn't even eat them. It's uh, International Gingerbread Day. And let's see what's well, National Veggie Burger Day. So that is it, man. Those are all the days. Nothing That's my meal really. set for today. Moonshine uh, with a burger, a veggie burger, <laughs> and some gingerbread is dessert. I'm going right, I'm going right to the moonshine. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This has been Allison here from Europe. Happy to... Uh, report that everyone's having a political upheaval and there's going to be protests in the streets. We will see you tomorrow for no more news on that. And this is Roger, United States and reporting on sonic booms and train crashes and 
the near start of World War III minor thing. And the United States, on this day, June 5th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Let me get my hair out of my eyes. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons. And follow our other channels. Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.